Welcome to Table Radio Season 2. This week's sermon was preached by Anna Spray on Sunday, February 13th. Enjoy! Well, hi there, Table friends. Good to be with you again this week as we're continuing our series on the parables in Matthew's Gospel. And today I'm reading to you from Matthew chapter 13, verses 31 to 33. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds come and they perch in its branches. He told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, for over a month now, we have been exploring together the parables of Jesus as written down in Matthew's gospel. And we have witnessed Jesus the sower sowing the seed of his evangel, his good news, into the world. And as he begins his public ministry, Jesus is announcing the victory of God the King so that everyone might know that God has come to save his people. God's kingdom is now here. Here in chapter 13, Jesus tells us that God's kingdom will grow slowly like a tree, but it will grow large enough to house all the peoples of the world. Yet it begins small, like a mustard seed. Now, this is a common saying in the ancient world at that time to describe something very small. A mustard seed is not even a millimeter in diameter, and yet from one tiny seed, a tree of between 6 to 20 feet can grow. Jesus uses this extreme, minute example to impress upon us how countercultural and counterintuitive God's kingdom really is. Like yeast, he says, the gospel is also hidden. It changes things slowly over time. And even today, people from all over the world benefit from the gospel in ways that they're not even aware of. Hospitals, schools, women's rights, racial equality, democracy, all of these developments are a consequence of Jesus bringing his kingdom. So over time, the little becomes big. The invisible becomes visible enough for all to see. What is hidden brings transformation. We may not yet see the kingdom in its fullness, but we can see signs of it all around us. At the beginning of God's story in the Bible, we read that he calls a nation from only two people, Abraham and Sarah. And later on, he chooses King David, the youngest, the smallest member from the smallest tribe in Israel. When God chooses a mountain to dwell on, he chooses small and obscure Mount Zion. And finally, tiny Bethlehem is the chosen birthplace of the Messiah. It is the small and ordinary things over time that come to have great significance in God's kingdom. God chooses these things with intention, and his choices continue to confound us. Yet today, millions of people have already come to nest in the branches of Jesus' tree, showing proof of the potency of the seed. There is method to God's perceived madness. 
Well, Andy entitled our passage today as the deceptive hiddenness of God's kingdom. We don't usually associate the word deceptive with Jesus at all. And yet, as we consider the nature of his kingdom, it is kind of true. Much of God's action in the world, in his kingdom, is mysterious and remains elusive to us. Wouldn't it be more helpful if God were to act in a way that was simple and very obvious so more people could respond and accept his kingdom invitation? But instead, the parables test us to reveal what's in our hearts. Will we dig deeply so as to uncover the hidden truths of the kingdom? Or will we dismiss and walk away content to live by our own wisdom? And as to the question of hiddenness, why can't we see more of Jesus' kingdom present in the world today? Why can't we experience more of his power? I think all of us might long for that, especially now. But Jesus' victory is not a human one. His power is not like our own human aggression. And his wisdom is much greater than ours. He does not come in power as we might want him to. Our human sense of justice, corrupted by our own sin nature, compels us to feel that Jesus should reveal himself in a showy, powerful way, not in a small and weak way. But God's justice and God's power is greater than our own, and in his upside-down kingdom economy, he presents things first as small and weak, hidden. But that is not the true nature of the kingdom. So let's take a closer look at this parable of seed and yeast. As Josh and Andy and I have all said in this past month or so, as we've been preaching on these stories, the parables exhibit Jesus' master teaching ability. Jesus didn't teach in parables to make everything clear and obvious. He wanted to provoke our imagination, inviting us to investigate into what God is doing in the world. Jesus didn't use parables to teach religious or moral ideals, But instead, he used them to show himself and his mission, to announce the kingdom of God as it is coming to earth as it is in heaven. And at the time that he first said these teachings, the people of God were in a time of oppression. They were under Roman rule, and many Israelites at the time wanted to revolt against the authority of Rome and to fight for their freedom, which some of them thought was the kingdom of God. And yet, Jesus comes, a poor traveling prophet, and he said that what he was doing was the arrival of God's kingdom, healing lepers and feeding people. And this didn't fit the Israelites' expectations at all. How could such small, peaceful action be the inauguration of the rule of Almighty God on earth? It just didn't make sense. But as we read these teachings, three things become clear. First, God's kingdom came as a surprise. (laughs) It did not fit the expectations of the Jews. And like yeast hidden in dough, though the actions of Jesus were somewhat hidden and small, they would come to permeate the lives of many people and would provide transformation over time. Jesus' influence, though small at the initial moment, would gradually transform the world over years. And you might ask yourself, how has the yeast of Jesus permeated my life? And how has that provided transformation within me? It's a good question to ask. 
Second, the parables reveal the upside-down values of God's kingdom. The least in the world are the most important people to God, especially those who are poor and have little social power. As I said before, God has a habit of choosing the small and the humble things of the world. Yeast and mustard seed are the most humble materials, and yet they show themselves over time to be mighty and transformative. Money and status, things that might be meaningful to us, are in fact irrelevant to God. The God who offers generous love and mercy to everyone, regardless of their performance or value. Some parables are intense, criticizing leaders of Jesus' day who might mistake their kingdom for God's. If they don't accept his offer of God's kingdom, the parables forecast that you can be headed for destruction. Thirdly, God's kingdom requires a decision. Many of the parables come with a warning that we might miss our chance at joining the kingdom. Accept the kingdom while you can, Jesus is saying. This offer will expire, and we are encouraged to make a decision once and for all. Trust and follow Jesus, or we might live to regret it. Through these parables, Jesus could make really bold claims that revealed truth to those who had ears to hear, those who were open-minded and ready to receive him, But these small stories could also conceal his message from those who could not accept him. In the meantime, Jesus was saying all of these things to prepare his disciples for the day he would go to the cross. He would die for their sins, and his death would become that tiny seed hidden in the ground that would later bear a large harvest. In these two verses of Matthew 13, a contrast is made. The smallest of seeds becomes the greatest of all bushes. A tiny bit of yeast provides the means to feed tons of people. Together, these little seed parables contrast the smallness of the means versus the largeness of the result. And both examples are small, unlikely, but potent. Mustard seeds were known as the smallest seed in the world. Leaven or yeast also minuscule in size, was a common necessity of everyday life in the ancient world as it still is today. The amount of bread produced in the parable of the leaven is ridiculously huge. About 39 liters of bread would have been produced, enough to feed 40 people three meals a day for several days. The little gospel bubbles up. It bursts and creates something big enough to make large provision for many. And there will be ample supply for everyone in the world that might choose to eat. But the provision does not guarantee the result. The whole world will certainly be offered the bread, but they will not necessarily choose to accept it. Although there is bread and tree enough for everyone, they might not choose to come home, sit down, and eat. One of my favorite New Testament scholars, Frederick Dale Bruner, calls these stories the little power parables. Jesus is teaching us that his humble ministry will be gloriously vindicated. He is encouraging his disciples to have confidence in telling and in living his gospel. Though the appearance of the gospel at the time that he shared it with them may have been small, there was great power in the long view. 
Through his death, Jesus would make his community that sheltering tree and the nourishing loaf for the world. So what this seed and this yeast have in common is their size, but they are also agents of change. And this is how we are to see the gospel of Jesus. It might seem small in comparison with the great philosophies, religions, and ideologies of history, but it has a potency that those things do not. Over the centuries, Christianity has often been reduced to the Ten Commandments or the Golden Rule or we might say, inviting Jesus into our heart. And yet, all of those things have held great sway throughout history. Still today, there is no greater basis of law than the Ten Commandments. Still today, we struggle to come up with a better life rule than love your neighbor as yourself. The things of the gospel might present initially as simplistic, but their potency has proved their worth over time. A few weeks ago, my youngest daughter came home from school with a friend. And as I usually do, I began to make them a snack, asking them about their day. And as I was preparing the food, her friend asked me, do you know what the Decalogue is? <laughs> I looked at her in shock. How did this nine-year-old kid even know what the Decalogue was? How did she know the traditional title for the Ten Commandments? And she told me she had heard the word mentioned in a video game, of all things, but she had no idea what it was. So we then proceeded to have a long conversation about the Ten Commandments and where they came from, what they were given for, their purpose, and their value throughout history. We talked about the need for law and ethics in a society led by sinful people and how we need to appeal to someone outside of ourselves to help us know what is good and right and true. It was one of the most surprising and most interesting gospel conversations I've had in recent memory. Experience has proven that it has been the story of Jesus that has most deeply inspired us intellectually. It has delivered the most meaning to us emotionally, and it has sent people into mission in the most adventurous way. The gospel has great potency and great power. Deceptively small, this little philosophy of life called Christianity does pack quite a punch. Frederick Bruner says this, We need not be ashamed of the smallness of Jesus, his story, and his ethic. For while it is characteristic of all seeds to be small, it is their characteristic also to be alive. The gospel is alive. It is at work in us and alive in the world. Jesus' story and his mission are alive with power in enough people in the world to become trees of shelter and loaves of food for everyone who has need. But it is also true that this characteristic smallness and simplicity cannot always be enough for people. We disciples can be tempted to find ways of supplementing the gospel to make it more attractive and more effective in kind of a human way. We often fall prey to the temptation to make the gospel appear big and strong in ways that God never designed it to be. And sadly, I think we can all think of examples of people who have abused the gospel for their own gain, for the chance to increase their own power, and the church must contend with that reality. 
We need to repent for the ways that some of us have manipulated the gospel to prop up our own power instead of giving the credit to God alone. The gospel belongs to Jesus. The kingdom is his. It is not ours, and it was not designed to make us great. The gospel is big with life because it points to the author of life, God's tree, God's bread for the world, not ours. Church father St. Jerome said that the gospel is shallow enough for babes to wade in and never drown, yet deep enough for scholars to swim in and never touch bottom. Despite this widespread appeal, however, Matthew's gospel seems to indicate that relatively few will choose to live this gospel life. In chapter 7, verse 14, he says that few will find the narrow gate. Uh, In the parable of the sower, three out of four of the types of soil fail. The refrain repeated, many are called but few are chosen, in the wedding banquet story of chapter 22. Not everyone who is offered the bread of the kingdom will choose to feed on it. What these two parables ask if they're hearers is this. Do you have confidence in this gospel? Do you believe in its potency? The gospel goes out as a seed, little but alive, and comes back making large provision of food, shade, and shelter. We will be tempted to distrust this little gospel, the one that we bear, and when we compare it with contemporary powers, we might feel intimidated or doubtful. But where are all all the ancient faiths today? The philosophies of Gnosticism or um, the Epicureans, the Stoics, all these forces, the mystery religions that used to threaten the church, where are they today? Even the great Roman army is no longer in existence. The Academy of Plato is long gone. As Bruner says, the church is an anvil that has worn out many hammers. The church continues to stand. The gospel proves its potency over time. Certain powers that be may appear to be strong right now in the moment, certainly stronger than our church appears to be. But give it time. Wait and see. Giving the gospel time allows for the king to do his kingdom work. The little will become great, just as the parables illustrate. Let us trust and be confident in God's kingdom as we wait. And for those of us that do choose the bread of the gospel or the seed of the kingdom, we come to see that there is a massive quantitative change that takes place even in our own hearts. The quality of our lives change. The attributes of Jesus become accessible to us. We become different people than we once were. We are transformed, ultimately, for the better. The fruit of the gospel grows in us, and we then bring that fruit to bear into the world. Let us pray. Gracious Lord, we thank you for your kingdom that comes small, comes like a seed. And you offer it to us to plant it in our hearts and to cause it to grow. Lord, may your kingdom come and your will be done both in our lives and in our world. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.
for listening to Table Radio, an extension of the life of the Table Church, a community in Victoria, B.C. Our mission together is to love God, love each other, and to love and bless our neighbors so that we may see Christ revealed in common life. Music for this episode provided by Richard Charter. For more information, go to richardchartermusic.com. To learn more about our community, please go to tablechurch.ca.